Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. On this show, we talk a lot about homelessness and the opioid epidemic, and it's easy to equate the two. That person on the street is homeless because they're an addict, right? Well, maybe not. Today on CityCast Portland, we're talking with Morgan Godwin. She knows a lot about addiction because she's lived through it. Morgan has lost her mother and close friends to addiction. She was incarcerated for four years because of her own struggles with heroin. A lifelong Portlander, Morgan is now a postgraduate fellow at Northeastern University's drug policy research organization, The Action Lab. She's also a member of Oregon's Measure 110 Oversight and Accountability Council. And Morgan is here to complicate that tidy narrative a lot of us have in our heads about what we're seeing go down in Portland streets. It's Tuesday, September 26th. I'm Claudia Meza, and this is what Portland's talking about. You know, I, uh, I've been checking out your TikTok account. That's actually why you're here, is I saw one of your TikTok videos and I was like, oh, this is fascinating. We must speak to this person. You know, you've spoken a lot about your own experiences with addiction and how it led you to a jail sentence, but never to you living on the streets. And you have a theory on why that was, a theory that maybe could help create better policies surrounding addiction and homelessness. Would you lay that out for us for those who who aren't following you on TikTok? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I was never homeless because I could always pay my rent. (laughs) I sound a little bit overly simplistic, so let's dig in. Yeah. You know, I became addicted to heroin here in Portland starting around 2009. And if we got enough of us into an apartment, we were paying $200 a month. Mm -hmm. And no matter how poor you are, whether you are poor because you are legitimately poor, and I was also just legitimately poor, okay? I was working Mm -hmm. at McDonald's. (laughs) Oh, wow. Or if you are cash poor because your money is going to feed a drug addiction, it doesn't really matter. In the end, simply, if rent is low enough, everyone can afford it. Mm -hmm. And so what we see right now on the streets of Portland with just this explosion of homelessness, and I hear a lot of people trying to blame substance use or addiction, that just doesn't align with my experience because my friends and I, we were equally as addicted. Mm -hmm. And yet we weren't in the tents because for $200 a month, we could afford a room for rent. Mm-hmm. It's it's so simple. You lay it out and it just was like, yeah, well, of course, you know, <laughs> um, but it, it's it's a misconception that around Portland's housing crisis that somehow our lax liberal laws attracted like opioid addicts and, and homeless people like far and wide. And this was also said about California. So they were just like, well, let's do a study yeah. um, and <laughs> let's figure this out. So UC San Francisco conducted this study and it kind of knocked this these conservative talking points on their ass. Like, could you break it down for us? Like, what did this study find? So the study... You know, they went through, they talked um, to all these people experiencing homelessness. They did deep dive interviews with them. And it found that 90% of the people that were homeless 
lost their housing in California, meaning they were last housed in the state of California and they are now homeless in the state of California. They are not being bussed in from far and wide. They are not being attracted by slightly more favorable public policies or permissive Mm -hmm. drug policies. That is simply where they are from. That is where they were living when they lost their housing because the cost of living is so high. Mm -hmm. It even found that 75% of people were in the same county. They hadn't gone anywhere. Mm -hmm. We have a... uh a correspondent. She's a reporter for the Willamette. She's like, my neighbor, I saw my neighbors have to pack all their stuff into their car because they couldn't afford their home anymore. And I know they're living on Columbia. And it's Mm -hmm. so sad because what we're seeing every day, because we're seeing people have these mental health crises, we're we're seeing people smoking fentanyl um, in the streets, in downtown, you just naturally equate like, okay, you are an addict. That's why you are homeless. But what you're saying from your years of experience of, you know, you're from Portland, you lived, you've lived here for, for quite a long time. My entire life. Yeah. And you've also uh, been an addict. And, and you're here to say, basically, it might be a little more complicated than that. Yeah. You know, when we look at West Virginia, and they have an overdose rate about two and a half times that of ours. They have the highest overdose rate in the nation and have for a long time, unfortunately. There's not rampant homelessness in West Virginia. Mm -hmm. But wait, but there is rampant addiction and drug overdose. (laughs) The housing stock is cheap. Mm -hmm. It's dirt cheap. So even people struggling with drug addiction can afford to pay their rent. And so, yeah, it's just more complicated than sometimes I would even say common sense makes it seem. Because even me walking out, I'm like, ah, well, obviously these people are homeless because of... The addiction, but then I even have to challenge my own assumption and be like, but wait, <laughs> I was addicted. I was the one sticking needles in my arms for years. And never once did I sleep in a tent. Never once. Yeah. All right. Well, let's take a quick break here. And when we return, let's talk about measure 110. Hey, it's John from CityCast Portland. Let's face it, sometimes bad stuff happens. A serious injury, a catastrophic accident, even a wrongful death. It can really turn your world upside down. And when it does, you deserve unwavering support from a dedicated team. Yeah, you need a lawyer. Dia Moore Law Group has over 30 years of experience protecting the rights of Oregonians. Their team of skilled attorneys, led by the renowned trial lawyer Tom Diamor, will work tirelessly to make sure your voice is heard and your rights are protected. Here's what one of his clients said. Tom fights for his clients from the first day they meet him through the last day of trial. So if you need help holding those responsible for your injuries accountable, contact Diamor Law Group at 503-222-6333 or visit diamorlaw.com to schedule a free consultation. They're committed to fighting for the justice and compensation you deserve right here in Portland. So, Morgan, you're a member of the Measure 110 Oversight and Accountability Council. Uh, Where do you see it succeeding and falling short? Speaking from personal experience as someone who was given multiple drug possession felonies, I know that arrest is not the answer. Addiction, which is so often a trauma response, 
uh, is not cured by further traumatizing people through contact with the criminal justice system. Every single one of my friends that died of a heroin overdose was incarcerated repeatedly first for drug addiction or related crimes. It didn't save them. It just meant they spent the last years of their life on earth cycling in and out of jail. And so the fact that Oregon has taken the bold step to diminish the war on drugs and to stop arresting people for simple drug possession, that is a win. That is a win for human rights. We know that the war on drugs is a racist tool of oppression and that it doesn't save people. When we look at the states with the highest drug overdose rate, like I said, uh, West Virginia, Louisiana, Kentucky, Tennessee, they're all up there towards the top. Those states all have incredibly punitive drug policies. Arresting people for drug possession is what the vast majority of this country does. American citizens are simultaneously, when compared to the world stage, most likely to be imprisoned and most likely to die of a drug overdose. And that's a pretty shameful stat. So I really commend Oregon for taking that bold step marching away from the war on drugs and towards a public health approach. As a person in recovery, I do not love seeing public drug use on the streets, people smoking fentanyl at the bus stop. And I'm actually really frustrated by that. And here's the thing, though, because I do research all over the state. We didn't see that in Eastern Oregon. We didn't see that in Southern Oregon. But it's the same state law. So what's the difference? Well, the police there wouldn't allow it. People here literally think they're allowed to because they can smoke fentanyl in front of a cop and the cop doesn't do anything. And so it's created this notion that, ah, well, I guess I'm allowed to. And you're not. (laughs) You're not. In Southern Oregon and Eastern Oregon, they're not. So they will walk up and immediately give that person a Measure 110 Class E violation citation. They can confiscate their drugs and people learn really quickly, oh, I can't do this. (laughs) And they stop Mm -hmm. doing it. Mm -hmm. But here in Portland, we're not seeing law enforcement respond to it at all, or even enforcing the laws that we have on the books. Mm -hmm. We haven't been able to get anyone on the uh, police force to come on and and just, you know, kind of give us just a rundown on, to respond on on these accusations, not that you're giving, but that have have been swirling around like, oh, the the cops aren't doing their job. Uh, The the, the cops have have quite quit, you know, Mm -hmm. all this stuff. But then it's hard not to take that into account when you do see people smoking you know, fentanyl right in front of a, a police officer yeah. and it is against the law <laughs> and mm-hmm. they're not doing anything. Mm-hmm. And it's not like they're busy. They're right there. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, they kick that can down and they're like, oh, well, it's because, you know, D.A. Mike Schmidt. And it's like right. at a certain point, <laughs> it's not it's not anyone else's fault that you're not doing your job. Yeah. I mean, the chief of police literally had to mandate them to stop saying that and to start doing their job. <laughs> yeah. Because they were just like using that as like a, oh, my hands are tied, Mike Schmidt, or oh, my hands are tied, Measure 110. Yeah. All Measure 110 did was decriminalize one gram or less of heroin or fentanyl. Anything above that is still an arrestable offense. It definitely didn't decriminalize dealing fentanyl. Yeah, or public drug use is what I'm hearing. Yeah, I mean, that, that they could just walk up, cite them, confiscate the drugs, And people would learn really quickly to stop doing it. But then you get people who don't leave Portland very much, assuming that what they're seeing in Portland is what the entire state is experiencing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that's not the case. I assure you, y'all get out a little more. You know, fentanyl is not unique to Oregon. The entire nation, the CDC just released uh, new data 
showing 111,000 Americans died in a 12-month period, which is more than ever before in a year. Dang. So yeah. this, this fentanyl crisis is nationwide. You know, the Pacific Northwest was watching fentanyl devastate Appalachia and the Northeast for almost a decade. And we were just sort of watching it from afar, like, oh, that sucks. Look, they have fentanyl in their drug supply. And then we acted surprised when it finally came for us. Yeah. And that's just so frustrating to me. Yeah. Are you guys afraid of the backlash that might be coming? I mean, I know it was just reported that there's a group that's called Fix Ballot Measure 110. Mm -hmm. Um, They filed a a petition to repeal aspects of, of the measure. And... They have money. I mean, the Columbia Sportswear CEO, Tim Boyle, mm. and uh, Nike founder, Phil Knight, I think they put in half a million dollars towards the effort. So it makes one wonder if if this is a backlash that's been created, you know, or yeah. what are you guys thinking about all this? It would be such a backslide for human rights for us to start arresting people for low-level drug possession. And it just, some of these, first off, what they suggested is this effectively a total repeal. The fact mm-hmm. that they're calling it fixed measure 110 is semantics. Okay. They are absolutely returning to criminalization, to arresting people for drug possession, treating drug possession as a crime. Anybody who bought weed before 2016 knows that buying drugs, even when they're illegal, isn't on the same moral footing as other types of crime. And we can't even, we do not have effective law enforcement responding to the actual crime that we are facing on our city streets. We do not have enough public defenders to represent people charged with serious felonies. People are getting out of jail, getting their charges dismissed because we cannot provide them with constitutionally mandated representation, legal representation. If our law enforcement resources are so scarce, exactly. Yeah. Why would you want to target them on drug possession? That is should be the least of your concerns. And so I'm deeply concerned by these ballot measures to repeal Measure 110. They're exceedingly expensive. When I read through them, the proposals don't even make sense, but everybody just wants a magic solution. And I I think it just really fits into the narrative. If the problem on our streets isn't a lack of affordable housing, but it's that people from out of town are, you know, flocking into the city to take advantage of our permissive policies, then the solution isn't that we need more affordable housing. The solution is get rid of those people. And this is that same sort of magical thinking. It's, well, if the problem isn't that we have this nationwide fentanyl crisis, an addiction crisis, the problem is that people aren't getting arrested. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And if we arrest them, problem solved. But we can look around at the other 49 states in this country to see that that is not actually going to solve the problem. So we really have to agree on what the problem is before we can start talking about solutions. Yeah. And it's also, I mean, it's been proven that the police aren't even going to give citations for someone smoking fentanyl in front of their face. Mm -hmm. So they're going to they're only going to do something if they can arrest them. It's really interesting because when we uh, dropped when the legislature dropped drug possession from a felony to a misdemeanor. Arrests drop by half. Now, I don't think half of the people just stopped doing drugs magically, but apparently there's some law enforcement incentive or law enforcement motive where if it's not a felony arrest, they don't really bother anymore. 
And the same thing now we're seeing with the citations. Well, oh, it's not even an arrest. It's just a civil offense. It's just a citation meant to connect people to social services and get them treatment. So I'm not really going to bother because, you know, if, if your only tool is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And we have exactly just given everything to law enforcement. Oh, homelessness, mental health, addiction. All, that's all on you. All on you. Well, their only tool is arrest. Mm-hmm. Can I share an anecdote from Eugene? Yes. I just don't anecd- want to make it seem like I'm bashing on law enforcement. Because no, when I was doing it. research in Eugene, we were at a peer drop-in center, which was funded through Measure 110. Because peer mentors, that's like a, a service that's not historically funded through health insurance. And so that was like one of the more revolutionary things that we could fund with the unrestricted Measure 110 dollars. And I'm there serving people who use drugs. And then everybody gets quiet because cops roll up. Mm-hmm. And out of the back of the cop car, they let out a guy and his dog, his giant dog. This guy looks like he's seen better days. Okay. He's experiencing homelessness and he has his dog. And the cops walk him to the front door of the peer drop-in center and say, hey, this guy needs to be connected to services. And so he accepted a ride with us to come down here and get connected. And the guy running it, yeah, come on in. Let's get you set up. It was one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. I almost cried. And I was like, wait, is this normal? Is this what they do in Eugene? And they were like, no. (laughs) (laughs) This is not normal. (laughs) And I was like, damn. But what if? Yeah. What if? (laughs) And so, you know, seeing, trying to see law enforcement as a partner, because like it or not, they are still on the front lines of the war on drugs. And like it or not, they are still being tasked to deal with our myriad and rising social ills. But what if they knew about all of those places that they could connect people to, refer people to? What if we expanded their toolbox so the only thing in there wasn't arrest? Mm-hmm. Um, they can't fix our social problems. This requires comprehensive solutions on behalf of the city. Measure 110 was one thing to deal with addiction, but that's not going to solve our housing crisis. And Multnomah County has unspent funds for housing oh yeah what is going on (laughs) (laughs) yeah oh man you should join us every friday because that's what that's the entire theme of friday is like what the heck is going on (laughs) it's when we do our news roundup Mm. yeah so you know once we take this link or lack of link between homelessness and addiction into consideration i mean how should our policies change then well we know that housing first works right yeah we know that housing people works. And specifically also eviction protection, preventing eviction in the first place. Because once people become chronically homeless, it becomes much more challenging. And I'm terrified because we are breaking records in Oregon for monthly evictions. Hmm. And what is that going to mean for our chronic homelessness levels in one, two, three years? Um, Getting, finding recovery is incredibly challenging. It is much easier when you're addicted to wake up and continue using drugs than it is to chart the path towards recovery and stay on that. Right. Expecting people to do that when they are living in a tent exposed to the elements is absurd. One of the most common things I hear from women living on the streets is that they use methamphetamine so that they do not have to sleep, so that they do not get assaulted while they are sleeping. I think this makes sense. When we are emotionally stable and have comfortable physical environments, we do not turn as much to our negative coping habits, whatever that may be. But then you put someone homeless in a tent, unsafe, physically unsafe, hungry, no access to plumbing or water, having to 
struggle to go to the bathroom, of course, that's going to increase their substance use. That's going to increase their negative coping behaviors. And so it's about giving those people safety, shelter, and stability so that they can then chart that internal course towards recovery. Because you know what? Newsflash, addiction sucks. People are like, ah, but there's no consequences. Addiction is a natural consequence. Yeah, <laughs> nobody nobody bitter. wants it. Yeah. Exactly. Dude, <laughs> when you walk downtown, do those people look like they're having a good time? Do they look happy? Oh, ridiculous. Um, but that's what addiction is defined as. Continued use despite repeated negative consequences. But if we can make the treatment as easy to access as the drugs, we will be on the right path. Well, thanks, Morgan. I appreciate the work that you're doing and your honesty, your vulnerability. Um, Yeah, appreciate everything that you're putting into all the research that you're doing as well. Thank you so much. And now for your microdose of news. Portland Public Schools is working on a compromise with Jefferson High School families. PPS is proposing a new plan that allows juniors and seniors to spend a day or two a week on the nearby Portland Community College campus while their school begins construction in 2024. The district's decision to relocate Jefferson High School students to the Marshall High School campus 11 miles away caused an uproar in the North Portland community. And in response to last week's show, where Oregonian food writer Michael Russell and I discussed Portland's lack of sauce-based barbecue, listener Nick Gardner wrote in to say, hey, I just listened to the barbecue episode. I'm with you on the sauce. I'm pretty barbecue agnostic, though, and I can go for different regional styles depending on the meat or mood. I'm originally from Kansas, so I'm partial to KC style and love burnt ends. Alabama white sauce on smoked chicken thighs is amazing and hard to find around here. I sometimes like a Carolina mustard base. I'm in North Portland and love me some mats. I miss Bark City. Anyway, don't sleep on Bado's Barbecue. Thanks for the recommendation, Nick. And for those of you looking for a new spot to try out, Bottos is on 3120 Southeast Milwaukee Avenue, close to the Aladdin Theater. For even more local news and events, sign up for our daily newsletter, Hey Portland. We'll throw a link in the show notes. That's all for today here on City Cats Portland. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with a friend, rate, or leave us a good review. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more from around the city. Until then, see you at Slips.